0: Hey lovelies. This week's episode is the third in my winter long series on mental health with Rachel Tuckman. If you haven't already heard the first two episodes, one covers depression, the other deals with anxiety. I highly recommend you go back and give them a listen. Once you finished this episode, they do not need to be listened to in order and you can find them in your podcast feed. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rikki Gietzkowitz and on today's show, we continue a winter-long series on mental health with a discussion on grief. We talk about why grief belongs in the context of a mental health conversation, what happens in our heads when a public figure goes through a loss, and the place of religion in grief and grieving. are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I am doing good. So today, we are talking about grief. And when you first suggested this as part of our mental health winter, I did not think of this as a mental health topic. I just it I don't I don't know, it just didn't like, I was like, let's talk about diseases. And you were like, this makes sense. This fits here. So uh, why? Why should we be talking about grief in the context of a mental health conversation?
1: So grief is important because grief is something that we will all experience throughout our lifetime. Every human being will experience this, Um, but it's complex and it manifests in different ways. And there are times where grief sometimes, um, you know, where grief will, will sometimes you know, be in a a response that makes sense and it's appropriate. And then other times grief can sometimes continue and stretch out and become problematic and really start. And we always say this when we have these mental health conversations, how when it starts impacting someone's life in a way that's really not healthy for them and it's really getting in the way of them living a a good life and it's really getting in the way of them being able to, you know, do their, their daily living things that's when it becomes a problem. But we wanna kind of sensitize people to what grief looks like so that A, you can be supportive of people who are going through grief um, and help them get through those tough times. And B, if you're someone who's going through grief yourself, just to normalize it and to help you understand your experiences and your thoughts and your feelings so that that there's not feeling, there's not that feeling of aloneness or being abnormal or questioning like, does this make sense? Like, why do I feel like this? We kind of want to normalize and that's the point of all these discussions. We want to normalize these thoughts and feelings and behaviors and let people know, hey, this is where it might mean that you need a little bit extra support, therapeutic support. And here's where like, yeah, maybe you just need to reach out to your friends more or take a little bit more time, you know, to connect with someone or whatever it is. So I think that's important that people understand like what grief is and when it could be something that needs a little bit more intensive um, support. Right. This is kind of echoing a lot
0: of what we were saying about anxiety, where anxiety is something that we will all experience. And for some people, it's a problem. And grief is something that unfortunately we are all going to experience this at some point in our lives. We are probably going to lose something or someone that is very important to us. And there's a, like a, there's like a normal, I don't want to say normal, but there's, acceptable or a manageable level and then there's you know beyond that um how would you how would you go about defining grief like what is what is first of all like how would you differentiate between you know helpful grief or normal i hate using normal but i can't think of a different Mm -hmm. word right now um and something that that may need more intervention like what do we mean when we say grief
1: well, I wanna say, first of all, that grief is like never a pathological condition. So even when I say like, it's something that needs more support, it just means that it's more intense grief, right? But grief is just like an adaptive, non-pathological response to loss. We all have it, right? It's this attempt to cope with something distressing in our lives. So, you know, when, when we're experiencing something like a death, right, where it's very obvious, and I think people are more kind of understanding when it's a death, like, oh, of course, you know, it's hard they're tearful or they're sad or you know they're experiencing let's say it's very common after like a death to have like all these kind of existential questions like what's the point of life right and again sometimes people will hear this and they'll be like oh my god they're suicidal and it's like no it's very normal for a person to start questioning like like what so and it's i hear this a lot from clients they'll be like so what like we live and then like we just die and like that's it you know like that's that's all we're here for and it's so common Like that I'll, and sometimes I I will smile when I hear that question, because I'm like, yes, exactly. Like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. These are the motions that we go through when there's a shocking death or, you know, something that really uproots their life. Like kind of like, what am I doing here, you know? it's funny because sometimes people who don't go through grief will say, I often ask myself the same thing, like, I'm just here and then I'm going to die, what's the point, you know? But it is very common for people to, who are experiencing grief and loss to like have these existential like crises kind of, I don't even like to call them crises because I think it's just normal to have those questions. Um, but it's, it's a response to loss and that's kind of when we question everything, like, who am I, what's the point, you know? There's a lot of regret looking back wishing you know for for you know chances to to do things differently um, I think that's that's a, a human response like I said to distressing life circumstances and I think that we need to um, kind of understand also that grief looks different for everyone so even everything that we'll cover here today in the conversation we're gonna miss points we're gonna miss things because everyone's experience with grief is unique, you know? And I want people to know that also, that if you don't hear your experience here, it's not because like, oh, that's not, that's not something someone experiences. It's just, there's so much to cover that it wouldn't be possible to talk about how it looks for everybody.
0: Right. I'm, I'm thinking back to like my most, I guess, recent, I guess, recent, um, or like my, my, Okay, so I have, um, I have three, like, I grew up knowing three of my grandparents, my father's father died before I was born. And um, we were very close with, um, with his mother, my father is an only child. And then I knew both of my, um, both of my mother's parents. So my paternal grandmother, we called her Oma, she died in the summer between ninth and 10th grade. Um And, and I was super close with her. She was like the one who taught me how to sew and, and I was just always really, really close with her. And also like all my siblings really were very close with her because the four of us were like literally her whole world. And, and, and she wasn't sick for very long before she died. She was in the hospital for like maybe a month or so. And then, um, and then died. And, and I remember like, I don't know, I was still kind of little. I mean, I thought I was like the biggest hotshot in the world, but like, come on, I was in ninth grade. I was like 15. Um, and I didn't. And I don't think that I really like processed it or whatever. Like I didn't, whatever, like she was old and she was sick and she died. And like, that was that my mother's father died recently. Just actually just, just, just before COVID, um, in February of 20. Um, and he, and I knew him for a much longer amount of time. We were very close. He was sick for, a, a, for over a year. Um, he was diagnosed with brain cancer in January of 19 and, And I was very involved in his care and getting him to appointments and things like that um, for that entire, you know, for those 13, 14 months beforehand. And the thing that I found that was so, like, the thing that I kept saying to my husband, actually, while we were dealing with, like, this hell that is a brain tumor in your family, I do not wish that upon anybody. I just kept saying to my husband, you do realize this means nothing can ever happen to you, right? Right. Like, just, just, I, I just want you to let you know that, um, if you get sick, I will kill you. Like, this is not you just, that's it. Like, and, and he was so supportive to me and helpful to me while we were dealing with that in the aftermath and all that. And then of course, after he died, the whole world ended. So, which felt appropriate, honestly. Um, but that, like, that was the, the overwhelming feeling and, um, and thought that I had the whole time was just that like, oh, well you just, by the way, you are invincible now, whether you like it or not.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. It's 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 when we see when we experience like other people's loss also kind of it's I say it's like a vicarious grief, right? A vicarious loss. Like, and I I totally relate to that also, because I know and I'm sure anyone listening to this also, like when we see someone like losing a spouse or losing a parent or losing a kid, like, again, it reminds us of like our own fragility and like how scary that is. Like, oh, my God, that could be me. You know, And, and like we we kind of And I think that's part of also why people get so like obsessed with like grief stories and they want to see pictures of the person and they want to, even if they're not connected to them, they want to hear about them. And then they go, you know, if it's someone who's like on a social media page, they go follow them. They're waiting to see if they're going to post about them or talk about them or right. Because they, they want to feel that person's loss without experiencing the loss. It's safe because I'm safe from the pain because it's not my loss, but I want to know what it's like without knowing what it's like, you know? Um, because it scares us, you know? And I think that that's, I, it's it's usually short-lived that we have that feeling of like, oh my God, like, please don't ever leave me. And like, I would be devastated and whatever. And then two minutes later, we're like screaming at the person or like, oh, you're so annoying, or get away from me, I need my speech. Um, but it's really normal for us also, again, like when we hear about loss and we see someone's grief, it's very normal and healthy for us to kind of be reminded of like, how scary that would be for us, you know, and how like, we don't want to experience that. But again, it's, it's important for us to remember that like, throughout our lives, we will face some kind of loss and grief. Um, and again, it doesn't even necessarily mean death. Obviously, we will experience death in our families or whatever. But, you know, like we say now, even through this pandemic, how people have been experiencing grief and loss, not even necessarily knowing someone who passed away, but loss of like the life that we always knew, you know, loss of Going into the office and having, like, relationships with coworkers, loss of, you know, normal schedules, loss of predictability, loss of, of you know, feeling like, okay, like, my, my health is fine and, like, I know what's up. Like, everything has kind of, like, been tossed up in the air and people are feeling, like, totally off balance, which, by the way, is how people feel when they lose someone close to them, someone they love you know, like they can't make sense of the world. Um, and I think we all kind of got a glimpse into that a little bit, you know, in those early months, for sure, of the pandemic, when nobody had a clue what was going on, you know? Right. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, because when you frame, I've, I've been fascinated by people's fascination with tragedy. I think that to a certain extent, I don't know if it's like that we all just love to watch a train wreck or there is there is a fascination with tragedy and like especially when you think about, um, you know, when there is like a death in the community or when someone who is a somewhat public figure has um, goes through something, you know, terrible like I'm thinking the first time that I heard of the frock, believe it or not, was when her husband died and that and everyone was talking about the fact that her husband died and i was like this is and then and then you kind of get to know them and i'm like i hate that the reason why i know who you are is because your husband died um but that's kind of just what happens and when you frame that fascination as just like oh well you know it's it's over there like it's safe to see i hear that but i also do think that like i don't know or aren't we all just yentas a little bit like is that why we're yentas or
1: i don't I mean- know it- it could be that there is definitely that too. I'm not going to say no, <laughs> but I think part of it also, excuse me. I think part of it also is sometimes we, we look because we also want to like know the details so that in a way, and it it doesn't make sense because we can't always do this, but like we want to make sure that we know the details so like we can prevent it ourselves. So if we know why a car accident happened, oh, okay, I'm not going to do that. So that won't happen to me. If we know why that person got sick, oh, okay, so that that doesn't run in my family. It's not gonna happen to me. It gives us a sense of like control. Okay, that's not gonna be my tragedy. Also, again, sometimes it's like, and and I think this is like a normal thing. Again, it, it, it sounds mean, but it's not. It's again, a very normal human reaction. Like sometimes we see someone else's suffering and we say, oh, thank God it's them and not me. Oh, thank God it's them and not me. Like. That is just a normal human reaction, you know. I I call it tragedy porn, right? Mm-hmm. That people are obsessed with looking and and reading and watching and and finding every last thing because again, there's this draw to it, and like we can't get away from it. And we know a lot of the time we know like we shouldn't be like nosy, and I think that's why it feels yenta-ish because we know it's like wrong to be like oh, I, I'm just like following her to find out like what happens or whatever. Or we feel, sometimes we feel bad about it or, it's, or the behavior looks kind of like Yenta-ish, like we're being gossipy or, or just like curiously, like morbidly curious. But again, I think it's just like this human fear reaction that we have that we're just trying to like understand, like what happened here? And like, how do I make sure it doesn't happen to me? you know. Um, or what happened here how would I feel if this happens I want to experience those same feelings without that actual thing happening to me you know but why would you want to experience that that's the thing that I don't get it's interesting because our brain like wants to protect us like vicarious trauma vicarious grief vicarious like our brain wants to kind of like sample it for us like here like this is that scary thing, kind of like why we watch scary movies, right? Like why do people go on roller coasters? Why do people go on why what like why do they like scary movies? Because some people they like that thrill of being scared while knowing they're safe, you know, like their brain wants a little bit of a taste of it. I wanna I wanna be terrified that I'm gonna be killed, but I don't actually want to be terrified that I'm gonna be killed, right? Right. So it's yeah. like this this ability to like experience that part of life that you know you might encounter without actually encountering it. Because our brain knows there's a possibility that we could encounter that that terrible tragedy. I don't ever want to, but I know that it's something that could possibly happen to me. So let me experience it through this person, not myself. You know, Right, like let me
0: harness their experience for me to have that same feeling without the consequences of that experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a very normal human thing to do. And so that's why you know, I, I think the whole idea of tragedy porn makes sense, but then I always tell people like really to be very, very careful because sometimes when we get too invested in that, we end up kind of exploiting the person that we are, you know, reading about or curious about because then we end up either, you know, sharing too much or passing things along that we shouldn't pass along or, you know, whatever it is. Like I've seen it get like very insensitive and yucky and I think people just need to be careful about that. Um, right.
0: It's actually, um, so I'm pretty close with um, Sarifka Kone from Links and Shlamy's Club. And they're an organization that supports children and teens who have lost a parent. And she's not, she's, she knows about grief. Um, and one of the things that she is a big advocate for is actually in the wake of Com- particularly big communal tragedies mm-hmm. not to be the person that's like sharing those videos or um you know or like feel taking on the responsibility of newscaster in whatever way um you know she knows of stories of people of family members who learned that a close family member died from a whatsapp forward which right. is ridiculous if you think about it she also knows of stories of family members who get a whatsapp forward that a family member is dead and that person is not dead they're just you know in a tragedy and and there's no cell phone service and they can't get in touch but for three terrible hours the family yeah. thinks they're dead like that is yeah. it's it's awful so it it all like this idea of tragedy porn it makes sense to me it makes sense as something that is i i get the the it, like we know that it happens and i get the um I don't want to say the appeal, but I guess so, I guess the appeal, like I, I understand the need to like, hold on to information as like a, as like a lifeline, as this is exactly what's happening. And this is why it happened and and how we can get around it. Um, At what point do we see grief, like becoming something that requires more support? Like, I, I almost want to ask you like, okay, so my grandfather died, give me a timeline. How long should I be over it? But I know that that's not how it works.
1: <laughs> yeah, grief does not have a magical finish line at all. Um, it's, it's <coughs> excuse me, grief is like ongoing. It's forever. It's not something that's finished. There's no like magical little bow that we put on at the end. And it's like, okay, you're done grieving now. Um, people don't get over it. We know this, right? Like we've heard this. And I love there's like that um, image. It's like a famous image that I've, I'm sure you've seen. It's been passed around a lot. It's, there was a great TED talk on it. on on grief that um, I forget her name right now, but she, she showed this image and it's very poignant, but she shows how like grief is like a ball in a jar, right? And she shows like there's like a few images of this ball in a jar and the ball stays the same, but the jar just keeps getting bigger. And she says, grief is that ball. It doesn't shrink. It doesn't change at all. Your grief stays the same throughout your life. It always hurts the same. But what happens is that your life around the grief starts to expand. So in the beginning, it's all encompassing. It's literally all you can do is think about it. Everywhere you go, you see the person that's missing or you, or you feel that loss, whatever it is. It's, you, you, it's like your entire identity. But then eventually you're able to go to that birthday party. Eating gets a little bit easier. You can go back to work. You can laugh. You can see a movie. You can even think of the person and there's fondness there instead of only sadness, you know? So then the jar gets bigger and there's more room for things around the grief, you know? And and that's something that I think should be comforting to people is that you're never going to forget about them or you're never going to forget about what happened. Like, it's not going to be something that doesn't hurt ever. And I think I've heard that. That's very common for me to hear from people with grief is like when they start feeling better, they start feeling bad. Like, shoot, like, am I miss, am I for, am I forgetting this person? I don't care anymore. And it's like, no, you're learning to live with your grief, which is actually like a beautiful thing. Like it shows the resiliency of like humans when we're supported properly. And when we're given the right tools and when we're like carried through our grief with people, like you can have space for both that like immense sadness and pain, but also so much joy and living, you know. And I think that's something to like remember to even like tell a person who's grieving, obviously, in the right time and be very careful, but to say, like, you're not going to feel like this forever, you know. One day it will feel a little bit lighter, you know. And I think that's important. Like, there's no, there's no finish line. So, in terms of like when it becomes like a problem, I would say you you want to, if you're a person who's grieving, if you feel like that jar is never expanding, that it's always all-encompassing, and that you're not able to shift, then I would say you should probably go get some support to talk through these things, you know, and to figure out, like, how can I make a little bit more room in my life so that this is not like all I'm doing all the time because I have to function. I have to get back to work. I have, you know, I can't constantly be, you know, engulfed by this. Um, And I think that's why it's important. I think early on, if you feel like it's something, you know, for me, I guess it's kind of, it's easier because the people that I have in my office who are experiencing grief experienced, you know, traumatic losses. So for them, it wasn't a question like, of course, I'm gonna go see a therapist, you know? What is the difference between a traumatic loss and like a vanilla loss? So a very sudden loss of a, of a spouse or a family member um, or in a traumatic way, unexpected, um, that kind of thing versus like, you know, my dad was old and he passed away. Not to say that that can't be a traumatic loss. It can be if you're very close with your parent and, you know, it, it's something they were like ripped out of your life again. Trauma is all about not the event itself, how it affects you, you know? There are some things that are objectively could be more traumatic. Like if your parent is, you know, dies in a, in a violent death or a, a sudden death or whatever it is, then yes, you know? But again, trauma is really, it's very individual. It's like what it, how it impacted you. So I, I want to be careful even how I'm saying that. But, um, you know, again, if it's like, somebody died in a natural way, you know, like that they were just old or they had a sickness and you had a long time that you guys were preparing for it and you were ready for it and you knew. You know, that doesn't mean again that you can't be, you know, you can't experience the same like, you know, prolonged grief um and that you wouldn't need help. But in some cases it's kind of more obvious that like yeah, you should probably go get help right away. This is going to be tough for you to understand or it's going to be tough for you to navigate. Um, and so I would say if you are someone that feels like it is tough to understand and it's tough to navigate, I don't want you to be like, yeah, but like we knew for years my dad had cancer, we knew he was going to die, like why Why am I having a hard time? Like it should be fine. If you're having a hard time, go and talk to someone, speak to a professional, get the help. Um, you know, grief is, is going to influence you for the rest of your life. It's going to be something that's in your life constantly. Um so you need to know how to manage it. You need to also understand, even if it's for someone just to nod and be like, yeah, that's actually completely normal to think that way. Yes, you know, that's like a very important thing to hear. Um, so I think that's important. Also, you know, I think, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but like, I, we, we've all heard about like the five stages of grief, right, Kubler ross and, and, you know, going through those five stages. And I think people get very like hung up on those, you know, they think that they're like um, prescriptive Um, rather than descriptive, which is actually what her intention was. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, when she wrote them, she wasn't like, yes, you're going to go through it like this, and it's going to be perfect, and whatever. She just said, like, this is typically what I've seen in people who are grieving. They go through these stages. Some people don't go through all of them. Some people go through only one. Some people go through them in cycles. Some people go through them in all different patterns. Um, So she was kind of just trying to give, like, a little frame of reference for people of, like, hey, this is normal for you. So I think if you're someone who's grieving and you've read about those, to even just remember like, again, descriptive, not prescriptive. Like she's just saying Here, here's what I've seen, but you might actually have something to add to it. And we actually know that David Kessler, who worked very closely with her, he's a famous psychologist and, and he um, talks a lot about grief and loss because he even experienced loss himself. His son, passed, his son died um, and, and he wrote a lot about that himself but he added to the stages, right? He added a, a final stage or an, an extra stage, I should say, a sixth stage where he called finding meaning, you know? So again, like these stages, like we can add to them. We can we can say, well, that doesn't apply to me. I think that's important also that people um, understand that whatever literature there is out there is like not set in stone. And it's like, if you don't see yourself in the literature or you don't see, hear yourself in the podcast or you don't hear it, you know, on the YouTube TED talk, like it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you, you know?
0: Right. For someone who might not be familiar, can you give, um, kind of a quick overview of those five stages and, and what you mean when they say that they're descriptive and not proscriptive?
1: Okay. So her five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um, and so in those stages, again, like it, they, it could come in waves. It could come in. You know, you might start with like acceptance first. You're like, okay, you know, they're in they're in a new place and moving on, and like I'm okay, and I knew this was gonna happen. And then it might switch to anger. Like, wait, no, this isn't fair. Why did this happen? Like, I, I can't understand this, and and we didn't deserve this. And you know, um, but generally, she saw that it would start like with denial. Like, I can't believe this happened. Switching to anger, moving, you know, to bargaining. Like. God I'll I'll see to him I'll take on extra you know whatever I'm going to be like reveton of the five towns whatever you know so those are those are the stages and again she she said and that was her intention and she was so sad I remember hearing from David Kessler that he was saying she was so disappointed that people were like kind of like tearing her work apart and being like how could she say this and you know she was like that was never my intention I just wanted to give a little bit of like you know structure I wanted to give like some understanding. I wanted to give, you know, some names to what people were feeling and show them like this might, this kind of roller coaster that you're going through of like being okay with it and not being okay with it. And then like being super depressed. And then, you know, that's normal. Um, And I think a lot of people like misunderstood her work. Um, So, but David Kessler, I think does a lot of like, he does a lot of um, justice to it when he talks about it and, and his own work afterwards, I think really highlights like how, how sensitive it was. Um, so I would I would definitely like recommend reading her stuff and reading his stuff. Um, and there, he has a great podcast with Brené Brown on, on grief and loss that he did, where he talks about his son and like what it meant for him um, to experience loss. And I love how he says, like one of the things he says is like the worst loss is your loss, you know? Mm. And like your life doesn't go back to normal. Your life kind of just grows around that grief. Like I said, with that jar, right? Like it grows around your loss. Um, so I think that that was like that's important to to hear that stuff, right? Um, and I think I think something that we also need to know is like that most things that are offered as support for grief are designed to like solve your problems or get you out of it, and like we don't want to do that. You know, We're, the point is like not to get you out of grief; it's to support you like while you're going through it. Well, um, oh, that's, that's
0: interesting. Why- Meaning, not the point is not to think that this is a ride that you get off of, but it is like packing snacks for the road, kind of.
1: Yeah, it's, you, you don't solve grief. It's not solvable. You know, like I said, there's no like magical ending. Like it's not like, oh, now you're better. Now you're not, now you're not grieving anymore.
0: Right. You're,
1: you're always going to grieve. But again, it's just going to look different. And I think that's important for people who are grieving to know too. Like if the birthday comes 10 years later and you're not crying, it doesn't mean you're not grieving. You know, again, like it will start to change. It will look different but it's always there and I'm sure if you ask people, like I know in my family, uh, like years before I was born um, and I'm, I'm sharing this openly again, it's like a known thing and it's not a secret in our family. Like I had a sister who passed, who, who died when she was a baby. Um, And my parents, like they, you know, they talked about it, not very much when I was growing up, like suddenly at one point in my life, like suddenly there was like pictures of her all around and like we talked about her more and I was kind of like, oh, like we're allowed to talk about this. Um, But my mom always says, she says, you like, you never get over it, like ever. You never, certainly the loss of a child, but any loss, she said, you never get over that. It's something you live with every single day. You think about it every single day, you know? Um, and so I, I kind of like that stuck with me, rem- like thinking like, oh my gosh, like my mom's like, you know, eating breakfast. I wonder if she's thinking about it now, you know? And it's like, she probably was, you know, <laughs> and every, every family thing that we have and every, you know, like Simcha and every, you know, every milestone is like, you're always remembering there's someone that's missing from this, you know? So I think that's important, like, that people understand, like, when you're supporting someone with grief, like, you're not trying to get them to avoid their feelings. None of that toxic positivity stuff, right? No, like, spiritual bypassing, none of that, like, you know, using spiritual beliefs to, like, help avoid negative feelings. That's spiritual bypassing. So none of that, like, it's all for the best. God has a plan. Maybe, yes, we want to believe that as, as religious Jews, we're encouraged to believe that. But, like, there's a time and a place to to share those feelings and if that's something you want to think that's fine don't put that on other people but we have to stop trying to like you know package up grief and put it away because it's not how it works right
0: it's you know when you you mentioned this the religious the religion aspect of it a couple of times and that i i I want to talk about that for a little bit because first of all i've never heard the term spiritual bypassing and i think that it is so perfect for what we see so often where I do think that for a certain type of person, when they're in a helpless situation, turning to God has a plan, this is all for the best, I'm going to sit and say my Tehillim, we're going to divide it up in between everyone, finish all of Tehillim 10 times a day for this person, blah, 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 but we're baking the challah, all of that. And I don't mean to put those things down. But I do know that, let's say in my own personal experience, so my, I had an, um, a, a family member who, um, when my grandfather was sick, you know, started a... She basically, she divided up Tehillim amongst the family, assigned family, every member of the family, um, certain chapters, and was like, okay, now everyone has to say this every day, and like every day we're going to complete all of Tehillim for Zayda." Now, I did not ask to be a part of this. I, very frankly, did not want to be a part of this. But, but at the same time, I am not someone who personally connects to formalized prayer, in a, right. you know, I'm more of a like use expletives when necessary, talk to God kind of girl. And for me, I like uh, all of a sudden there's this chat, and it's like to him for Zada. And I also don't want to be the person who's like, you know, I'm I'm saying there were tons of extended cousins and things on that. So like, how many times out of the like over the year, I'm sure there was probably like at least one or two days where nobody forgot. But like, I still didn't want to be the person who was just like. I'm Oh, Greg. So like, because I don't want to say my couple of, my couple of procken, like my couple of chapters, it's not going to get finished that day. So whatever. I gave mine to my sister because she was into it. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, Rucha, you get this one. Um, and she was happy to, she was happy to take it. But I think, you know, that I felt really, I was really upset by that. I was really upset by it. I was really annoyed by it. Um, I was involved in his care in, in other ways. And that was just not something that I wanted to do. And, and I, and I didn't, but how does, like, ugh, I'm just, i I'm curious what your reaction to something like that is. And when it comes to all this, like spiritual reactions to things that like, frankly, we're not going to have control over, you know, a, a brain tumor is only ending one way, you know?
1: Right. Yes. Yes. Totally. Yes. So I think that for some people, that that's like their immediate reaction is like to turn to spiritual stuff. So to turn to God, to turn to prayer, to turn to like doing extra things because that is comforting to them or it gives them some kind of element of like, okay, well I can control this. Like if I say extra prayers, like maybe I can influence the outcome. And I don't want to say that there's anything wrong with that. That's, that's, I think that's a great, beautiful thing. And I think that's The beauty of religion is that it does give us some sense of comfort and some sense of like I have agency here I'm not helpless like there's a god above and and I and I have some pull with him maybe I can throw in an extra word and maybe either I can like you know he can have mercy and change the outcome or maybe he has mercy but the outcome is not changed and it is what it is but like hopefully I planted an extra flower up there for when that person gets up there you know but I do think that there is also the opposite reaction and I wanna normalize that. And I think that's, it's so important that actually we pay more attention to this because I think there's a lot of guilt and shame around it where people are not interested in that. And I relate so much to what you're saying because I am not the person that does that. And and I always find I get like a visceral reaction when people right away are like doing that in tragedies. I'm just like, can we like stop for a minute and like not do that? You know? I feel like I am someone who is very spiritual and I do, believe in God and I'm very proud of my Judaism. Um, But in times like those, I'm actually, I feel very distanced from religion and God. And I feel like I just need a minute to like be disconnected. And I don't feel like doing this. And I actually saw Danielle Renoff uh, posted a few days ago and I actually messaged her to say it, to say thank you to her. She was saying that after she lost her baby, and she's someone who we know, like she talks very much about her spirituality and her love for, for Judaism and her love, her connection with God and, and prayer and whatever it is. She was saying like, she felt like doing nothing. She didn't feel like waking up and saying acknowledging and thanking God in the morning, like she she felt so disconnected and she it took her a while to like get back into it. And I, I said to her like, thank you so much for normalizing the struggle that people have in grief, like to feel spiritual and connected, like they, they feel disconnected so much. They feel, I don't want to talk to you, God. I'm angry at you. I don't, I don't want to dive in. I feel like there's no point. I don't, I'm not organizing to him. I just want to figure out like, what am I doing right now? You know, like I fans out, you know, God forbid I'm having a pregnancy loss. Like I'm not organizing it to him group. You know, I just want to like go to the doctor and figure out what am I doing here? You know? And so I want to normalize that for people. Because people do sometimes jump to that right away. Like, oh, have faith and, you know, and like pray more and and give more charity and light extra candles and blah, 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 blah. And again, while that is great for some, for other people, that kind of washes over what they're feeling. And it's trying to stick band-aids, like very messy band-aids all over something that like, sometimes we need to just let it be. So if you want to believe that it's God's plan or you wanna believe that maybe you have influence over that situation, but someone else doesn't and they don't wanna pray and they don't wanna do extra, I just want people to know like there shouldn't be judgment there and there should never be blame either. Well, you know, they didn't really wanna join the Tehillim group, so that's why the outcome was the way it was like, no, you know? And if you're someone that believes that God has a plan, then of course you would never say that, right? Because it is what it is. So I think that we need to be very careful when we start like putting, you know, all these like holy, you know, platitudes and like all these like spiritual mantras and whatever on people like it's not what people want to hear all the time. Um and I and I do want to normalize that that that's not something that people always lean on and it's not the healthiest thing because again saying like it's god's plan like are you going to say that to someone who lost a baby? I know my mom did not want to hear that when she lost her daughter, you know? if someone, God forbid, has a child who was sexually abused, Hashem has his reasons. Really? Like those, those statements and beliefs really are not always appropriate. And it's not comforting to someone to hear that. And to think, I, I always say, why would I want to believe in a God that would do that to me? God has a plan. I should suffer like this. It's not a comforting thing to hear. So I think also people need to take a step back and say like, is this the most comforting thing that a person wants to hear right now? Hashem is taking care of you. Really? Like I'm a, low, I'm a widow now, you know, God forbid. I'm a widow with kids all by myself. God's taking care of me. It doesn't feel like it, you know? So again, I think we need to, I think people have good intentions when they see these things. I, I know most of the time they do, but it, it doesn't land well all the time. And we need to make sure like, how is this gonna land with this person? And if I'm not sure, I'm better off just not saying it. You right. know, spirituality is not always the right approach. It's not always the right response to people in that moment. I think that
0: also because there's so spirituality is a very personal thing. Um, yeah. and it And there are so many different flavors to it. And there are so many different ways that somebody can connect to God, a higher power, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And it's, and at the same time, religious communities tend to be insular communities with prescriptive ways of how you should be how you should dress how you should look the school you should go to and all of that and the and the relationship you should have with god and because there is i think a lot of judgment around those types of relationships that are ultimately very personal you like there is no you can't even really assume that what you're saying doing feeling is identical to what somebody else is saying doing or feeling because it's not it it just doesn't really work that way. So what are how are what are some ways that we can properly support someone going through grief? How do we not be a butthead, Ra- Rachel?
1: I love that. How to not be a butthead. By the way, I used that the other day in one of my posts, don't be a butthead, and I thought of you. But I actually <laughs> before I answer that, I do want to even just like kind of like piggyback a little bit onto what you were saying there about or I wanna highlight even more what you were saying. Like, don't assume that just because someone lives in a religious community that they feel very spiritual and connected to God, you know, Mm. they might be going through the motions, because it's important to them to be with their family, and they don't want to leave the religion and whatever, but they might not be very connected to God at all. So that's very important what you said, like, we shouldn't assume because someone is, you know, a Sabbath observant Jew, and whatever that like, they have these beliefs about God and this connection. So that's, again, why those things are really not very helpful at all to say to someone, because you really, we, we should never assume like what you know, what a person um, feels about God and whatever it is. So I think we we need to be very careful. Um, But I think that it's important for us to know that suffering comes when we feel unsupported, we feel dismissed, we feel like, you know, people are questioning our choices or we're blaming ourselves. So I think it's important for family and friends um, to come and help you know? So if you're, if you know someone who's grieving, like reach out, Hey, can I take you out? Not in the mood. No problem. I'm going to drop off something at the front door. Don't like, don't even come to the door. I'm just leaving it there for you. You know, a text, just checking in without an expectation of an answer. Right. Not like, hello, I'm checking in. Hey, what, what's up? Are you okay? Just checking in heart, no expectation. And for real, you have to like, I know people are like, no expectation. You don't have to answer me. And then they're like checking for the blue checks. Like Mm -hmm. you don't check for the blue checks, you know, (laughs) like, you don't, if you say I don't need an answer, I'm just sending this note, because I want you to know I'm thinking about you, you know, Um, there are groups for grievers, there are books, there are podcasts, people should be reaching out, you know, like I said, for reach out for help, if you are someone who's going through it, reach out for help, Um, thank God, you know, I think social media is a beautiful thing in this way, that there are so many pages that are like, you know, like, you know, Sarifka has so much of her content is so supportive and amazing for all kinds of grief. Um, even I was supposed to have a baby, Amy Baron, like even if you're someone who didn't experience pregnancy loss or infant, you know, infant loss or infertility, like there's still so much relatable content there about grief um, and just about, you know, dealing with things that feel difficult and unfair in your life. Um, so social media is like a good kind of private way to kind of, you know, feel seen and heard um, there's all these virtual summits that happen also for grief and grievers. I think those are important to to be a part of. I know David Kessler does. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. He does like a live. I think it's once a month where he just like you know talks about grief and loss. Um, and like you can, they're free, so you can join in on those. Um, grief is very lonely, and and people kind of disappear or disconnect or they don't understand you, and so it's important to like build community. You know when you're when you're a griever and so I actually have unfortunately I have quite a few friends who are grievers um widows or lost parents or whatever it is and and they kind of have like I have a friend who's a widow and she there's like this like club that they have like there's this like whatsapp group and there's like this like community of them that they like they get together all the time and they have like these cute getaways and and it's actually amazing because the minute they hear about someone who loses a spouse like Everyone knows, and they go to the shiva house and they take care of them, or they send a letter, or the like. They're super supportive, so there's communities out there for like people who have, you know, specific losses. So I would say it's so important to like try to connect with those. If you know someone who's gone through something like you have, to like not be shy. And, and you know, again, like this friend who's a widow, like I know she's proactive about reaching out to people who lose spouses. Also, that she's like, hey, I'm here and I want to help, and here's my number, um, but to reach out and say like, I'm going through this and I'm alone and how did you get through it? But I think as a community, we need to do, as a Jewish community, we need to do a lot more in terms of like helping people um, get through their sadness and supporting them better and giving just more language for loss. I feel like we have, you know, a Mm -hmm. lot of like, we know how to handle happy times and great things, but when like the blank hits the fan, we're kind of like, wait, what? Like we don't know what to do, you know? And I think that we need to do a little bit um, more of a better job trying to give more resources in our schools, in our schools for, for helping people with, with loss. Um, but, you know, again, I think reading is, is a great thing. Viktor Frankl, you know, Edith Ager, like their books are fantastic because I think that they give a lot of like hope and optimism in a healthy way, not like a yucky, unrealistic way. Um, and again, I think there, there are resources out there that if therapy is not available to you, that they're good supports for now, you know, that, that you can kind of hear your story and, and understand that like, okay, I'm, I'm suffering, but like what I'm suffering right now, what I'm feeling makes sense and it's normal. Um, so I think that, that it's important for us to also focus on, again, you know, self-care, that self-kindness, putting yourself first, doing what you need to, um, grief affects your body. so remember that like your appetite, your sleep, your digestion, your blood vessel your blood pressure, your you can feel fatigue. it changes your body. So tend to your body make sure that you're you know s- trying to, to get sleep and if you need to see a doctor about it and getting some help you know short term or whatever it is, like do that. Um, you're not crazy. It might feel like you are, but like you're just in a crazy experience. So again normalizing that mental exhaustion there's such a thing as grief brain, right? Or you can't get things done and you're kind of all over the place. Again, self-compassion, don't judge yourself. It happens, be patient with yourself. Um, understand that your brain will adapt, it does, thank God. You know, Most of our brains are pretty resilient. Journaling, talking, drawing, blogging, writing poetry, photography, any kind of creative outlet, that's also very good. Creative expression can kind of bring us back to life. So if you are a griever, if you like those things, Knitting, sewing, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. very good stuff. Um, And hope, hope is great. And this is something actually that David Kessler says is he says, you should have hope, not that things will get better or be different, right? Because we don't know that, but that you'll be able to live with loss in a meaningful way.
0: Have hope. I love that. Yeah. the,
1: The hope is not that the
0: situation will go away. The hope is that you will have the, that you will be able to handle whatever life throws at you basically.
1: Yeah, and you can still live a full, beautiful life with your loss, you know? Doesn't mean that you'll feel happy and that you'll be like, "Oh, I totally understand why that tragedy happened to me, silver lining." That may never happen, but you can still li- live a meaningful, healthy life, you know, in spite of your loss, alongside your loss. And I really love that.
0: Yeah, I I really love that also. I I I think that we're going to leave it there. That's a really great that's that, that's a that's a that reframes things for me in 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 a lot of different ways so thank you for discussing grief with me today rachel and yep. uh and we still have quite a bit to cover in this series so we will be hearing from you again this winter and uh, and thanks for taking the time today thank you for listening if you'd like to learn more about rachel her links are in the show notes this is the third in a series that will be running throughout the winter be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this now so you don't miss the upcoming episodes the be impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion the clothing line i created because i believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer see my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com access all of that by swiping up on the cover art there are currently 12 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, a original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki and Squitz. Cast me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.